Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. Derek, we have a Buffalo Wings and Rings Mailbag Friday episode for our listeners. We do. Uh, seems like it's been a little while since we've uh, done one of these, and I think we got quite a few questions to work through today. Yeah, obviously, the everything with Jalen Durr and Kofi Coburn, all that is probably filled the mailbag up. I know we have some baseball stuff. There's a lot of NIL stuff in here in the mailbag. So a lot has actually happened since the last mailbag we recorded. I'm pretty sure the last mailbag we recorded was right before I went on vacation. So I know we've not dropped one in July. Mince has returned. So there's all kinds of things to talk about. Uh, let's jump into it. I'm going to lead off with a football question. Derek, and that is from Walker. With 24-7 sports releasing their recruiter ranking and having Vince fifth in the country, is there an argument to be made that Vince is more important to their program than any assistant in the country? Looks like Walker just sent this question in right before we started recording, so good for Walker uh, getting it in on Friday morning and uh, getting the first question asked. So there's a little bit of confusion, I think, with those rankings with Vince Merrow. Uh, People had written that it was Steve Wolfong, our national uh, recruiting guy, who put these rankings out. But it's actually just how, uh, based on the rankings for the commitments in the 22 class. So, and obviously, he was the lead recruiter on Keontae Goodwin. And I don't know if he's getting – it seems like one of those deals where they're going to give him credit now for the Wade Twins, even though it was kind of other guys. He just kind of came in after Klingsko left. But um, to answer the question, though, Vince is you know more important to UK than any other assistant. I mean, I think there's definitely an argument that he is. Uh, you know, especially early on, the way the UK was able to land the groundwork with some guys back in those early classes. I felt like the balance when Klingscale was still here, probably early in this class, actually, between Klingscale, Summerall, and Mira was the best balance that had ever been. Um, but then when you look at the guys in the portal, too, who he's gotten, uh, Wondell Robinson and uh, Dare Rosenthal yesterday, and uh, also a couple of those other guys, Trayvon Morgan, I want to say for Luke Fulton, he was in on as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that he – I don't know if he's the most important guy because I, I don't know everything about every program, but I think everyone who has been around UK football knows that, uh, you know, he's – there's a reason he's one of the highest paid assistants in the country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what he's done in in-state recruiting, too, in the last few years yeah. is, is really big. Uh, let's, st- let's stick with the football questions. This one's from Brad. Does Dare make the move to right tackle? Does he transfer from LSU as the starting left tackle to play right for us? With with that, what's your two-deep offensive line? Um. So I don't know that he necessarily had much of a choice to, to leave LSU because I believe the word was he was going to be suspended for some of the season, uh, whatever it was that got him in trouble. Uh, it won't carry over to UK, so it was more or less a school rule, uh, repeat violations. That's my understanding is why he decided to leave LSU. So I don't think it's a, something as simple as, you know, he was leaving LSU as a left tackle and he wanted to go somewhere specifically to go play left tackle. Like I think – I mean, I think with part of the reason Darian Kennard came back to school is to help him enhance his draft stock, playing left tackle, to be more versatile in the eyes of NFL scouts. With how loyal UK is and how much importance it was to them to get Darian Kennard back, if they truly told him that he was going to have that opportunity, I don't see them 
taking their word back on that. So, yeah, I do think Ro, uh, Rosenthal will play right tackle. Uh, as far as my 2D, that's a good question. Like I said, uh, if you listen to yesterday's uh, show with Dear Rosenthal, uh, I think it's really hard to take anything away from the offensive line this spring because so many guys were out. But I'll do my best to answer it. Um, I, I think, obviously, you're starting rotation across the way will be Kennard at left tackle, Kenneth Horsey at left guard. I think Luke Fortner will be the center. And I think if all goes well, Jeremy Flax will be the right guard and then Rosenthal will be the right tackle. And then the guys backing them up, I think uh, it kind of depends on this year Watkins' health. Uh, I think you'll have a chance to be one of those swing guys again at tackle. But if not, I think uh, you might see Flax move out there a little bit if they need him. And then someone else like Eli Cox could play right guard. But Quentin Wilson, I think, is going to factor in at center and guard. I'm not sure he'll get a starting job, but I think he'll he'll be in the mix. And then, of course, uh, Austin Dotson as well. So I think there, I don't I don't know how many guys that I think they'll probably try to play around eight or nine would be my yeah. guess. Um, and then I don't did I mention DeAndre Buford? Uh, you did, I did yesterday. yesterday, yeah. But I don't think I did today. So I think Buford will be another guy that. Again, you got to think in these games, Kentucky's going to be playing. I mean, if they're healthy, you got to think Kennard and Rosenthal are going to be playing almost every snap uh, that they can. So I don't think there's going to be, you know, many snaps to go around for some of those other tackles. But I do think Buford will be a guy who will get his shot and they'll want to see how he performs once the season starts. And Ben Link has multiple questions, but one is for you and it's football related. Uh, what do you think the chances are UK can land Alabama transfer linebacker King? How do you say his last name? Wakuda. I was browsing some comments and some people were linking him to UK. I want to say Josh Edwards. I I hope I'm not getting this wrong. Josh, a friend of the show, but I want to say UK might be full now. I'm not sure they're really looking at anybody else after they got Rosenthal. I haven't heard anything on this Alabama transfer. Um, Typically, this day and age, you kind of – I mean, I think every transfer Kentucky's gotten, for the most part, you either knew was going to go to the portal beforehand or whenever they actually went into the portal, it became pretty clear right away that UK was going to be targeting them. I've not heard that same kind of buzz with this kid. So, I'm going to say it's more likely than not he's not here. And Corey Hensley sent these via Facebook. He has one basketball, one football. I'm just going to stay on the football topic now. Let's say we beat Missouri, go into the Florida game undefeated, and then they get the big win against Florida. What would the atmosphere be like for LSU? Also, with all that momentum at that point, if they can beat Florida, what do you guys think the chances are they could pull off back-to-back big wins and beat LSU as well? Then if they were to beat both Florida and LSU, what would that mean for Stoops in the program and how big of a step forward and would it be? So let's just start with the atmosphere. Eric, the atmosphere at Kroger Field, if they're undefeated, coming off a win versus Florida, would be just like it was when they beat LSU and played Florida the following week in 2007. One of the best atmospheres that stadium's ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a zoo in there. You know, I mean, people will be obviously very fired up. Uh, I mean, if if you're winning those kind of games, if LSU is pretty good, I I don't know what other games are that day, but you're probably looking at the CBS slot or at at worst, you're looking at probably the national TV game on ESPN at 7 p.m. So they're winning one of those though. They're winning one of them. That's my prediction. for Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For our upset pick or whatever, I picked Florida just because I think they always play them pretty well. And you know, it's still going to be early enough in the year that we'll see kind of how Florida is. But I know there are some 
some sites that do kind of the metric based stuff that still like Florida a lot, even though they lost a lot on offense. So we'll have to see. But uh, to answer the second question, I mean, with if they win all those games, like obviously that's the dream uh, because in that scenario, you'd be going to play at Georgia with, you know, it would have a, a direct impact on who wins the SEC East if Kentucky is at that point 4 0 in the SEC with, with game, with still having games against Vanderbilt, Tennessee, you know, two teams you think they should probably be better than this year. So, I mean, that would be a huge deal. Um, again, what? another game that would be televised on – I mean, that that seriously for – I mean, I know when Kentucky played Georgia in 2018, it was – I mean, it was a big deal. It was to decide the SEC East. But I, a mid – it would still be a midseason game this year. And I'm sure Georgia will be either undefeated or maybe only have one loss at that point, depending on what happens against Clemson. Like, that would be probably the game of the week. What's the bigger ball. step forward, though? Is is the bigger step forward winning both of those games at home or winning one of them than going to Georgia and winning? I mean, uh, they're they're not they're not equal, are they? Because I guess you'd want the head to head win against Georgia. If you you'd want you'd want to beat the two East opponents if you could pick. So that yeah. would be a massive step forward. But I mean, also if you win both those at home and you still go lose to Georgia, you're still taking a giant step. Oh yeah, but. I feel like the biggest step that you could take is you beat Georgia. I still think that's the biggest step Mark Stoops could take other than getting to Atlanta, but I don't think they get to Atlanta until they finally beat Georgia. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Georgia's only going to lose so many SEC games a year, one or two probably. I mean, whoever wins the East is not going to lose more than – I mean, most years they don't really lose more than one game some years. I mean, Georgia's gone undefeated a couple of times. Florida, obviously, in the past has you know, had some great teams that either lost only one or two. I, I just want to say Florida's – I don't think either of Florida's national title teams under Urban went undefeated. I think they both lost games. Uh, actually, I might be wrong on that. Do you remember if the 2016 lost a game? I, I know for sure 08 did because they lost to uh, uh, Ole Miss at home, but I can't remember if the 016 was. I want to say they had lost one game, though, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I but, think uh, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting off on a tangent there. But, you, you know, basically, like, if you're going to win the SEC East, like, you're, I, I agree with you on that. Like, you're probably going to have to do it in a year where they actually can, can beat Georgia. And I'm not sure this is going to be the year. But in that scenario, if they were 6-0 and or 7-0, and whatever it is, I'm not looking at the schedule. But. You were right, though. They lost one game that year. 2006, they lost at Jordan-Hare to number 11 Auburn. Okay. I didn't think they were undefeated. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, like, but still, if you even look at – Obviously, in the short term, you would be for sure thinking about playing for the SEC championship. But if some, in worst case scenario, if you start off six zero with that schedule that they have left, like you're probably looking at at least a ten win season. So that would be a huge deal in its own right. Obviously, even and if you don't make you know, make it to Atlanta, I mean it's still an incredible season for Kentucky football. Let's move on to Mike's question. I want to know what's going on with women's basketball. Coach LZ hired. Gail, I, I can't say her last name. How do you say Gail? Guest and course. Yep. We're losing a lot of players this year and next. Where's the players to help treasure hunt? Who can be a run? Uh, let's just stick with, with that question. We don't get a lot of women's basketball questions. No, we don't. Very few that we get. Um, I don't really know. I, I want to see how that program does this year. I thought they were very – I was very disappointed in how they performed a year ago. But to have Ryan Howard back this year, I expect Treasure Hunt to take on a larger role this year. I was actually kind of surprised that she didn't crack really the rotation last year until late in the year she started playing a little bit. That was very surprising to me, a, a player of her caliber. Uh, so I think with I, – I think they could be pretty good this year, Derek. 
yeah, I don't want to misconstrue Mike's question, but Sean, when you read that again, it almost makes you think that he thinks maybe Ron Howard's not on this year's team. I hope I'm not reading this wrong, but I mean, my opinion is like the question should be, you know, who's going to be there to help Ryan, not necessarily who's going to be there to help Treasure Hunt, because I think that's kind of Treasure Hunt's role would be to to step in and play a little bit more with Ryan Howard. Um, some of the other play. This is a Zach Gagan question. Okay, sorry, I need to get Zach on here as a guest yeah. to. Uh, talk it through but uh yeah i'm trying to even remember who else they kind of have this year uh not very well prepared on this uh question but yeah he is right though in regards to what they're losing i mean patterson played a lot uh, i thought was one of their better players so uh you know We'll have to see with with LZ. I mean, I, I tend to give, and we talked about it a little bit on the show. Like it was an ugly end to the season for sure. It was uh, that Iowa game. It was rough. You know, he didn't defend really well. He ran into a great player from I don't remember the young lady's name from uh, Iowa, but she was one of the best freshmen in the country and uh, tore them up that day. And I thought the offense was very much just kind of standing around and hoping that Ryan can do something. So you got to get away from that a little bit more. But again, LZ. Took over at a weird time. I mean, right before the season, uh, I know some people were saying, you know, why did Mitch go ahead and give her a full contract? Well, I mean, I think there's probably something there that he believes in. I think that the, that's what the players wanted. And, um, you know, just because this first year maybe – I mean, they still made the tournament, Sean. Like, it wasn't like it was a dreadful season. I mean, yeah, with the expectations that Matthew Mitchell put on that program, you would – you know, there's going to be some higher expectations than what it used to be. But I'm still – I still think she needs a few years. I mean, it's – First-time head coach, you're talking about someone who um, did play a pretty big role in recruiting most of this roster. But still, I mean, you want to see her. Maybe, maybe she has different views on things than Matthew Mitchell. Maybe she wants to recruit a different kind of style to fit what she wants to do. I think all those things mean, you know, she needs some time to to have a chance to get it done. But um, Am I reading this right? They only have one freshman on the roster, and that's Jada Walker. Because I'm, I'm on UK's official website here with their roster, and I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eleven players. One freshman, five, seven guard from Richmond, Virginia, Jada Walker. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think Walker might have been an All American. Yeah. He was an All American yeah. candidate. So, uh, and they still got a lot coming back, Derek. They got Jasmine Massengale, transfer from Tennessee, still coming yeah. back. Robin Benton. Uh, yeah, Robin Benton, transfer from Auburn. Dre Edwards still coming back. She'll be a junior. So they have a lot coming back that played a year ago. Uh, I'm wondering if this question is more for the following year after Ron leaves Could and Blair be. leaves and they lose Benton. You know, where does where does Kentucky go there? Massingale's a senior. Uh, I don't know. We, uh, we're not as up to, I guess, knowledge-wise on the women's basketball team. We don't really get a lot of questions about it. No. But I'm sure once we get into the season, we'll know more about their roster. We'll watch them. And uh, as always, yeah. when things happen with them, we do discuss it. Also, there's a football part two question here from Mike. Who are we getting to help J.J. Weaver? And who are the defensive back starters? Yeah, it's a great question on Weaver. Um, I mean, because the thing is, Weaver probably won't even be ready when the season starts. I mean, he injured his knee so late last season that uh, he should be back at some point, but I'm not sure he's going to be ready in September. So the obvious guy is, is Jordan, Wright. I mean, he's the, I think Brad White's putting a lot of um, emphasis on Jordan, Wright, Improving his game, developing, you know, he's the, the kind of guy who's excelled really under wide. I mean, he's tall, 
a lot of length. I saw him at one of the camps not too long ago. I mean, he's in great shape. You know, I think everything is there. Uh, and, and he's been like a big time player for like, he's come up in some big situations for UK, a couple pick sixes, a um, couple fumble recoveries. He's forced some fumbles. Like he's kind of got a, a knack for being a big playmaker. So I think he's the guy that UK will be putting a lot of, uh, I don't want to say pressure, but I think that defensive staff is really looking to Jordan Wright to, to have a big senior season. Um, and then really after that, I mean, it's kind of hard to know. Like I think you got to hope that you get a lot of pass rush from Josh Pascal because he's capable of that if he stays healthy. Um, you know, last year, early in the year when he was 100%, he was hard to handle. So I think that'll be the two guys for now. But that is a that's a good question for the future, though, because, you know, Weaver, I mean, I felt like Weaver, if he was healthy, you know, if he comes back and shows that he's still pretty good, I mean, I could see him leaving after his junior year. So that is a position in Kentucky's going to have to hit a little bit harder. I do have Keaton Wade committed. I think he'll he'll fall in line and be a jack down the road. So I think it's good to have him in the fold. But, uh, again, that is probably the one position I think a lot of people were surprised that maybe UK didn't push a little bit harder in the portal to get another guy who can help the pass rush. And then um, on the DB starters, uh, I'm going to say at corner, it's going to be Cedric Dort and uh, Carrington Valentine. But uh, I've also heard some good things about Quandre Mosley. And uh, then also Andrew Phillips is another guy who I think is going to factor in. I, I bet that's a position you see a lot of guys kind of work in. Um, and then safeties, um, you know, they play the you know nickel a little bit. So you got a nickel back in there. I'm going to guess Vito Tisdell kind of does a little bit of everything. I know they've listed him at strong some linebacker before. So I think he'll probably just be the kind of guy you get on the field that Devontae Robinson came back for another year. He's going to get a lot of run. Um, but, of course, the, the starting safeties, Yusuf Corker and Ty Asian, two guys that uh, played a lot of football for Kentucky. And Corker, I think, could be set to have a huge year. So I think the, the coaches have a lot of faith in that secondary. I mean, the cornerback situation, you know, you're, it's a little eh. You got to see how it goes. Dort's played a lot, but Valentine and Phillips, are, they're two young guys that down the road I think they feel really good about. But there might be a little, you know, baptism by fire early in the year for those guys. We have one more question before we move into basketball heavy. So I wanted start to start asking you the questions. <laughs> so this one's for you, and this is from Brian. This is a DM that he sent on Wednesday. Uh, thoughts on additions to the baseball team? I know this is something that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, they've uh, they've added six so far from the portal, and uh, I'll start with those guys. I mean, this is going to be a very pitching-heavy team next year. I think Kentucky's committed a lot of its resources to improving the pitching staff. Um, they've added a couple of guys from mid-major programs. Tyler Guilfoyle is actually from Lexington, but he pitched at Lips Lipscomb the last two years. He was an all-conference closer. So he's a guy that will for sure be in the bullpen. I'm not so sure he'll have like a closer role at Kentucky, but he's a guy who has some college experience, you know, performed well at his level, mid-90s fastball. He's, I think he's one of their better guys they've gotten. Darren Williams was a starter at Eastern Kentucky. He'll have the chance to start at UK. I'm not so sure he'll end up in that role. I could see him more of like in a long relief role. But again, another local kid, he, he went to Mason County High School. Um, and then there was a lefty, Tyler Bosma, from Miami, Ohio. He was a midweek starter uh, for the Red Hawks. He, he was someone a little bit interesting because this past year, Miami, Ohio, importantly, apparently incorporated uh, driveline, which if you follow baseball is a very popular um, you know, kind of pitching 
type thing. I can't explain it incredibly well. I know that the Reds hired the guy uh, who started driveline. It's very, you know, analytic based, uh, a lot of background in science, research, things like that. And, and that's how they kind of improve. A lot of data is incorporated in that. And I think it kind of caused his walks to drive up a little bit. So that'll be something to watch. But uh, the other one that I think is the kind of guy that they need to be targeting. And his name is uh, Mag Cotto. He's transferring from the University of South Carolina. So this is a guy who threw in the SEC last year. Didn't have great numbers. He had an ERA over eight and just eight appearances. But I, I talked to some guys down there, two different sources, actually, who cover the South Carolina baseball program, who both told me that he was slated to be a weekend guy next year at South Carolina. So this is, I mean, you know, South Carolina swept UK this year. That was a program that uh, you know, has maybe fallen back down to earth a little bit. But whenever I, you know, I was in high school, South Carolina was like the school in college baseball. So this is a guy who was a former top 200 recruit. I think he was like 194 on perfect game, left-handed pitcher who went in the mid-90s. So like that's the kind of guy that I think you need to be targeting. Um, and then I think both the position players are really solid. It's a little different than what they've kind of had. Hunter Jump from Arizona State hit 300 almost in the Pac-12, which is, you know, obviously the SEC is kind of the conference in baseball, but the Pac-12 is very strong as well in college baseball. And uh, he's not much of a power guy. I think he's only hit a few career home runs, actually. So he's more of a gap-to-gap -gap type player. But defensively, I think he's going to be an upgrade in left field. And then in center field, John Thrasher from Hartford. He um, is transferring mainly because Hartford's dropping down to D2. So he wanted to stay, and he's going to have a chance. Very fast, um, second in the nation in stolen bases. He had 37. And he hit really well. Uh, but the question for him will be, you know, how does he translate that to, to hitting SEC pitching? A guy who's played as many career games. I think he started something like 134 career games, though. So he's seen a lot of college baseball. Um, but real quick, and we can move on to something else. Uh, I do think Kentucky's going to add more transfers. I, I think they want to anyway. But the MLB draft, like there's kind of a perfect storm this year with the draft being later, the transfer portal deadline being July 1st, having bigger rosters because of COVID. Like there are a lot of kids in the portal, and there's a lot to work through. So I think at this point, we're, we're just two days from the draft starting. I think a lot of kids at this point are just kind of waiting to see how the draft will, one, you know, will some of these kids who, who are thinking about transferring to UK, will they get picked? Will they still want to sign? And then two, some of these kids who are uncommitted in the transfer portal are just kind of waiting around to see what might open up at other schools. So I think you'll probably see a flurry of college baseball movement in the coming weeks once the draft is over and once guys have signed. Um, but right now, I mean, if you're a UK fan and you really care about the baseball program, the guy to be watching is John Rhodes. That's that's kind of the draft situation you want to watch because I've heard he's at a pretty high asking price, um, and he's kind of varied on what scouts think about him. I mean, he's he's I think as low as like in the 170s on Baseball America, which would you know equate to more likely than not not a seven figure payday. But then some people have him top 100, so I really don't know where he's going to fall, but. Uh, if they could get him back for another year, he'd still have a couple more years of leverage. So if they could get him back for another year, I think you can start to see a true improvement, at least in the outfield. And I think the pitching staff this year should be better as well. So that would be a big piece to watch. But Sean, I've, I've talked myself out. I'm ready to ask you about <laughs> basketball. Well, before we get into that, we have to uh, thank our sponsor, Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky, for continuing to sponsor the mailbag. Bring your team to Buffalo Wings and Rings for a chef-inspired menu and a club-level atmosphere. It's the ultimate sports restaurant experience, a place where everyone gets treated like a VIP. 
This isn't bar food. This is raise the bar food with fresh, never frozen wings, premium burgers, handcrafted sandwiches, and world famous house made blue cheese dip. And better wings are just the beginning. Your locally owned Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky is your home for the fifth quarter. Make it your go to destination after your team brings home the win. Buffalo Wings and Rings, game time just got better. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Derek, let's transition into the basketball side of the mailbag here, and I know we're going to have a lot of questions. Was there another one? Not yet. Now, this one we're going to start with is from second take because I want to know it too. What's the story behind the giraffe on your MacBook? <laughs> you know, that's a that's a good way to start. I, I looked at that question last night. You don't know how many times that giraffe has sparked conversation at Madison Square Garden. It sparked it at SEC Football Media Day. I've had like people that I've interviewed ask me, why is there a giraffe eating an apple on your MacBook? Here's the story. So I got this laptop off Keely. It was her laptop. She had the giraffe on the laptop. And the one thing that she told me, you can never take that off. And I have begged to take it off. But now I've accepted that it's a part of me. Like, cause so many people have asked me it's losing, like the legs are falling off. It's like a legless giraffe just sitting there eating because and I keep telling her like at some point these legs are going to just rip off. But she did have like a monogram sticker on here that had her initials that was pink. It took me three years to get her to convince me to let, convince her to let me take it off. So I would be covering games and I'd have like my arm over top of it because people would be looking at me like, why does this guy have a pink monogram on his laptop with a giraffe on the other side? But no, that's the story behind it. And now I've like, I hope it never falls off. It looks per- it looks amazing because you can like, when we go to certain arenas, you can find my laptop in the background behind the basket, like at Florida, by the giraffe <laughs> eating the apple. Like you can literally see me on TV a lot of times just by finding my MacBook. It's good stuff. Uh, one more non basketball question that has to do with your. Uh which actually sparked this question from second take because there's a picture tweeted out of you and Jack and also Drew Franklin uh, during KSR yesterday. But Trey, I just lost it. Trey asked a question. Okay, here's Trey. Was there anything about the experience as a whole that you didn't expect or found to be enjoyable while hosting KSR with Jack? Hmm. Well, I, th- I think going into it, obviously we, we listen to live radio and stuff often I think we all listen to to something live on the radio whether we're driving some sport sports talk show well KSR is probably the one that most people listen to and I don't think I ever really realized 
how hard it is to really fit everything into that two hours. It's a two hour window and you're thinking, yeah, we have to sit here and fill up two hours of content. Not really. It's like an hour and a half, but those breaks come up on you so fast that you can be planning. Like we went a little longer with uh mints. Mints was a little longer than planned. So you have your soft breaks, you have your hard breaks. And at the end we were planning to kind of, recap some things and maybe discuss our work I didn't get I didn't really get to plug this because you're you're talking or somebody's on the phone and they sit they're like Shannon will say you got 60 seconds well if the other person's talking like that I understand now why Matt has to butt in on people it might come off as rude a lot of times if you're listening to KSR and you think well Matt just cut somebody off he has no option there was one point if Jack hadn't cut off a collar the caller was going to, we were going to go straight to a break with the caller, not even halfway through his phone call. So I think that's one of my big surprises that really, that it's changed the way that I view live radio on the show. But as far as everything with Jack, it was amazing, honestly, like sitting there, I was expecting to be nervous the way that I'd talked to Jack leading up to the day, he expected me to be nervous. And then he throws the first question to me, and I go back and listen to it, and I'm so calm. I don't know, like, what hit me. I was like, you know what? This is just like you and me on this show, or just like me and him on Source Say. But, no, the overall reaction from that has been amazing. I, I was very, very, very pleased with how we handled it and, and everything. And it, it was a really good experience. Great, great platform. I, I think it's going to boost this show as well. I picked up, I think, 200 followers from that yesterday. So it'll, it'll, it's even going to help Kentucky Daily. Yeah, my advice to anybody, someone who's been on the radio quite a bit now, um, if you are calling in, like, try to be, you know, don't try to be long-winded with your question on the radio. Or if you have an opinion, just, like, try to give it as concisely as possible. Because, like, Sean's right. Like, it makes for a really weird transition, if not, or getting cut off. Like, nobody likes hearing that on the radio. But like you said, like, there's really no choice sometimes. So, Um, let's get to the basketball questions, though, Sean. I think those are the ones that were – uh, we got those out of and, the way, so and we have a ton of them that are going to talk Kofi, right? So yeah, we're probably going to we're going to go through these, and if if there's one, and we do not get to yours, it was probably because it's the exact same thing that, we, and we're hoping that we answer everything. So obviously, um, where do you want to start? Do you see a spot there? Yeah, I'll start with Brandon. Uh, Brandon Henry asks, uh, how best can we use Oscar and Kofi on the floor together if Kofi ends up in Lexington? Has Oscar been working on his jumper? This is the topic right now. Can these two play together if Kofi does indeed land in Lexington? Well, I, I don't see that, you know, I've been on this whole thing that I think that they would start both of them, just given one of them was, I mean, a consensus second team All-American. The other was the preseason Big 12 player of the year going into a sophomore year. I'm starting to think that one of them comes off the bench. I think that Oscar would come off the bench behind Kofi to start. Um, so I, I got caught up in the whole who they are. You know, we've seen Cal play Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Colley Stein together in the past, but you also had a guy in Dakar Johnson, number one center in his class, coming off the bench for two seasons at Kentucky until Willie got hurt that freshman season. I think the way that they could play together, though, is in spurts if Kentucky goes shooting heavy. And I'm talking taking Savir Wheeler <clears throat> off the floor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry there. And the way that that would work, Derek, is you could go mints at the point. 
with a Grady and a Frederick or a Grady and a Dante Allen, or you could go Ty Ty Washington, Mintz, and Grady. And I think that's how they could play together in spurts. I don't think it would be very long stretches, but you you would have to think if, if Kofi ends up at Kentucky, there's a lineup package that includes Kofi and Oscar together because it would dominate the glass. As long as you got shooting around them, I could see them buying it maybe for a stretch of two minutes, three minutes here or there. But I actually think, though, somebody brought up a really good point. And I'm trying to find who said it. But I know Brandon Ramsey of KSR was was talking back and forth. So I think somebody sent me a DM this morning. And let me find it. Yeah, Ryan sent me a DM. And it was from Hoops Insight talking about uh, Kofi Coburn at Kentucky and how they split Carl Anthony Towns and Dakari Johnson. And Brandon was talking a little about foul trouble, I'm pretty sure, in there and how you kind of unrealistic to expect both those guys to really even get to 28 to 30 minutes. Kofi played, what, 27 minutes a game last year at Illinois? So let's say that that dips to 24-25. Is that a significant difference? No, I don't think so. Because you could see, and if you play them together, let's say – you play them together for five minutes a game, you could get them both to that 20 minutes or somewhere north of there. One of them might play 27, 28 one game. The other one play a little less. Um, apart, though, and, and like I said yesterday on KSR, if they land Kofi Coburn, to me it addresses the one concern that I have about this roster, and that is who is behind Oscar. Damian Collins is very thin, and I do not think Lance wears a five. That is my one concern about Kentucky basketball. I have no concerns at point, no concerns at shooting. I think the defense is going to be fine. I think they're going to be able to rebound the basketball. My one concern is if something happens to Oscar Sheboy injury-wise or if he's in foul trouble, does Kentucky have enough at the five? If they get Coburn, I think they're – I pick them to win the national championship. Like, I think that they have all the pieces to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um this is from Ben. Uh, I was reading this while you were talking. I think this is a pretty good conversation piece. Um, he says, this isn't as much of a question, but more of an opinion. I really do think for there to be a crisp eight to nine man rotation, our best bet is Jalen Duran uh, over Kofi. Just because at that point there isn't a log jam, and with him you can play more lineups, of Co- uh, more lineups than with Kofi. What do you think about that, Sean? Is that from Ben? Is that what That's you said? Yep, Ben Link. Okay. <sighs> Let me read that one more time. I was trying to find it. <laughs> <laughs> so eight to nine man rotation. Well, basically, he's asking Jalen, like, can you well, get yeah. more with Jalen there instead of you? Kofi you Kofi. do. There's no log jam because Jalen could play the four. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that that fits the roster better when it comes to what they have. But I just think that man, there's just something about adding a consensus second-team All-American that has already done it in college basketball. Uh, and it's still – I mean, Duran does fit what they have better. I just don't think – I almost think there's more of like a true – because to me, if you get Duran and he's playing the four, then that's either going to push Keon and Jacob to the three – or you're going to have like four or five guys who are all fours. Whereas, well, yes, like Sheba will probably have to go to the bench. But if you have Coburn, I still think you can try to have – like I still – at first I was like, how in the world are they going to do – like to me, again, I just don't think you go back to like you don't need to play Sheboy and Coburn for long stretches. Whereas if you had Sheboy and Dur- like Duran, you could. Like I get that. But do you see what I'm saying? I'm kind of thinking like maybe if – 
I don't know. I kind of think either either scenario is going to be turn out pretty well for UK. I think. Well, with with Jalen Duren, he can play the four, and I obviously if Jalen Duren comes, he's starting. I yeah, think yeah. that's the he's a guaranteed starter alongside Sheboy, whereas. Kofi Coburn and Sheboy, I don't think, start together. The more I sit here and think about it, Keon's going to be the four. I think so, yeah. But if Jalen Duran comes, then it probably does push Keon to the three. Which, But then I guess you probably have more lineup combinations. But then again, they all depend on Oscar being the five. Whereas if you have Kofi and Oscar, you could see them both with any lineup combination at the five. You could see them for a few minutes together. But I say for 95% of the game, it means Keon Brooks is at the four, which I don't think is a bad thing. John Rothstein picked him as the breakout player for Kentucky yesterday that he thinks that with a guy like Oscar and the shooters Kentucky has, something I've been saying for months on here, that Keon's the guy that takes off. And I agree with that. Yeah, I don't don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Kentucky will be at its best if Keon's a four this year. I I just don't. You, you don't need to get back in a scenario. And again, we've talked about it a little bit how it you know affects Wheeler too. Like I, I just think all around it's better to play one true center with you know the stretch guys, either Keon, Jacob Toppin. Uh, I don't really know much about Damian Collins' shooting. I mean, it's saw some of his highlight tapes in high school, like he shot a little bit, but you know, they're just highlight tapes. Who knows? He might have missed, you know, he might have showed the one video or one shot that he made out of 12. Who knows? Um, so I, I I, that's an interesting – like, I think there's arguments to go either way, honestly. Um, but – and would you agree, though, Sean, the way that this thing is trending, I think it's more likely that Coburn's going to be here over Duran anyway. I don't think Duran's going to be in Lexington, no, which gets me I to the next question. Go well, maybe go to Memphis, who knows. Which but. brings me to the next question from Keith. Any chance we get – if we get Kofi, Duran stays in 22 and comes with Sky next year. I think that Duran's on the fast track to be a pro. Yeah. I think he's going to reclass after Peach Jam. And then I don't know, like Memphis is obviously has all the buzz, but does he just see it best to go pro? Uh, a few weeks ago, I leading up to the visit, there was some Kentucky buzz there, but I'm telling you, the, the stuff lately that I've been hearing has been all Kofi Coburn. And I just, I think that that's where Kentucky's going is Kofi, which means I don't see during the, the, the body he has, the athleticism, the skills he has, I don't see him spending another year in high school. This is like the most Kentucky basketball question we're about to get. I love it. Uh, Cause you were talking about your concerns earlier. How you didn't think that, you know what, you wouldn't really have any. Well, this is from Brandon. Brandon's thought about these scenarios, Sean, even with Kofi Coburn. He says, I have one worry about this team, even with Kofi. What do we do when a team tries to switch Kofi or Oscar onto quick guards to blow by them, AKA Jared Harper in the lead eight game is Damian Collins, the guy for these scenarios. I mean, this is July, and we're talking about a potential game in March, you know. <laughs> I mean, this is just like it's Kentucky basketball fans. Yeah, I mean, you're thinking ahead, right? Because yeah. that is uh, that was a problem that season with Reed and, and those guys. I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, Jared Harper broke down Kentucky's bigs, got in the paint and everything in that game. So, yeah, that I mean, that is a concern, and that is a worry, right? And Damian Collins is a guy – I was actually about to go into some stuff on Damian Collins a moment ago, but I decided to to wait, waiting for somebody to bring him up or something to be mentioned. I don't know – I'm so intrigued by him this year. Like, that's the guy that I've circled that I'm a little worried about just because I think that 
in my mind, I feel like maybe he thinks he's coming to Kentucky to be a, a sure, a for sure one and done. But then again, at times, I think that adding Kofi Coburn might be the best thing that ever happens to Damian Collins because he's going to have to battle with him and Oscar in practice every single day. But it also takes some of that spotlight off of him and him having to be great right away. I mean, we're talking about Damian Collins from, you know, Texas, small town. Like This is big stage Kentucky basketball, and I'm just hoping that he's ready for it, Derek. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He – he, he has the most upside of anyone on the roster. Yeah, I could see that. And I could see that. But I, I'm kind of with you. Like, he's not to really fight for those minutes. I mean, it seems like they're for sure going to add another big either way. So, like, he's not to really well, push. Here's for the thing. He's he's behind Kofi, Oscar, Keon, and Toppin, in my opinion, to start the yeah. year at four or five. And, and physicality-wise, I think he's behind Lance. Athleticism, no, but if we're talking a physicality standpoint, if he gets pushed around, you could see a case, and that, that's where we're talking about at one point, he was the guy that we were talking about probably had to had to start because we were sitting here thinking, does Keon come back? Uh, who's there with Oscar? He has the most upside. I, you could make a case, and that's why I think Kentucky's going to be good. That's why I'm I'm not afraid to say that I think that this is going to be one of the better teams in college basketball is because they're guys with upside right now. To me, the most upside on this roster is Damian Collins. I think Ty Ty Washington, because a lot of people think he has the NBA potential right away. And then I'd go Jacob Toppin still has a ton of upside because we really don't know what he can be. Outside of Ty Ty, do you necessarily have to have the other two to be really, really good for Kentucky to win a national championship? No. No. That's why I think this team is going to be very good because they have three upside guys that, honestly, out of all the stuff that on this roster, you could see Damian Collins probably being – he's, what, believed to be one of the highest guys picked off the team. Like, if you're talking about the NBA scouts right now, I guarantee they'd mention his name. they mentioned Ty Ty Washington. Jacob Toppin's a guy that you just don't really know what he's going to become. If he ever becomes what a lot of people think he can be, he's probably first-round pick with his athleticism and things like that. If he develops a shot, that's why I think Kentucky's going to be really good this year, Derek, because you've got seven, eight guys ahead of those that are proven really good college basketball players. If they get Kofi, that's a second-team All-American, a preseason uh, Power 5 Conference Player of the Year in Shibway, the SEC leader in assist in Wheeler, that's why I think Kentucky has the potential to be a national champion. It's like crazy to probably even project even one year ahead in this day and age with the NBA and excuse me with um the transfer portal. But like I think a front court this following season of Jacob Toppin, Bryce Hopkins, Damian Collins, and like Derek Lively, like I think there could be a really special. I mean, that would be an inter- like, that would be a really good starting point, I think, to even have that. And, again, like, who knows? Collins might show up and be the best player on the whole team. Who knows? That's why it's July. That's why it's crazy to talk that far ahead. But I think they're going to have some options. Um, this one is from Nick. He asks, could you see a platoon-type system, no equal minutes, but used for situations, i.e. to wear, a team, wear out a team? So guys get minutes, but it's not 2015, roughly 20 minutes for all. And before I answer Nick's question, Derek, I want to say this. Yesterday on KSR, I said I do not think John Calipari will platoon. 
I'm not necessarily saying that I'm against the platoon or that I don't think that it would work in spurts and stretches. I just think that Cal's so grounded in who he is that when he says that he put it on the shelf, I don't think he takes it off the shelf. We know how stubborn Cal is. And the other reason why I don't think he platoons is something that I mentioned on this show the other day. That team had Devin Booker coming off the bench. It had Dakari Johnson coming off the bench. It had guys that play in, that have played in the NBA. One guy in the finals right now with a 2-0 lead who literally just joined elite company with Kobe and them with 35-5. and five. And before the age of, I think, what was it, 25 or 24 in an NBA Finals game, I saw that go across Sports Center this morning. I just feel like this roster, it doesn't have the guys on the back end of it that are going to be NBA players. So I think the best of the best, whoever becomes the best, is going to play. I don't think there's an obligation there to play guys to get them ready for the league. That's why I don't think they platoon. But when it comes to this question, no equal minutes but used for situations to wear a team out, I think that you could see that. Like if and that's if they get if they have Kofi and Oscar and Keon and Toppin, what are you really losing if you take Oscar off the floor, insert Kofi, and you take Keon off the floor and insert Toppin? Are you losing a ton? You're not losing anything in athleticism. You're gaining athleticism. But the one thing that I want to throw out there too, is there a lineup that includes Jacob Toppin and Keon Brooks together? We talk a lot of Kofi Oscar. But is there a way to play both those two at maybe for stretches? Move one to the three just for a minute or two. Yeah, I think so. I do too. And I think that is the ver- the versatility on this roster. And if to- Toppin's the one that I'm looking at to improve the shot the most. I think when you look at shot form and you look at that, he has more to build on there than Keon Brooks does. But I think Keon Brooks has potential, Derek, to be a first-team All-SEC guy this year. Coming off the bench, you got no. top in the lineup, right? At the end of the well, year, I've got go top. To, let me go yes. to their seat. It looks like on uh, that's Jim where Smith. that's John where I'm Smith asking though. Start me a draft pick. <laughs> that's where I'm asking though. Can you play them together? If someone isn't, but here here's the reason why I think Jacob Toppin plays. Jacob Toppin is going to be the best defender on this team. This this hype train for Jacob Toppin, uh, I love it. Keep it going, but. All- He's he's going to be the best defender on this team. Not the best player, but I think he's going to be the best defender on this team. I think he's going to be that energy guy that you see over the course of John Calipari's time in Kentucky that you just cannot keep off the floor. Yeah. Oh, Cal, I mean, he was forcing him into the lineup last year, obviously, playing him yeah. all over to get him minutes. But so. Keon Brooks is – I still think Keon Brooks has potential to be first-team All-SEC. I do. Even if Jacob Toppin – emerges and plays a ton of minutes i just think that i have some questions about some people in the backcourt of just about how much they're going to play i think kentucky is going to play four guards and i think it's going to be a four guard rotation who is that going to be i don't know i've said savir wheeler davion mintz kellen grady and ty ty washington i i'm just i just feel like that cj frederick's biggest commitment or you know contribution to Kentucky is going to be beyond this season I still feel the same way about Dante Allen beyond this season that's where I'm coming from can Toppin play the three for stretches and can Keon play the three for stretches and kind of move I I love the versatility with those guys that you don't you don't want them at the three primarily but if Jacob Toppin has shown an improved jump shot I think he could get away with it more than Keon in my opinion yeah I actually kind of messed up uh because Ben 
was adding to his question. The question, if you go back about Kofi or Duran, who fits better, he uh, brought up another interesting point. He said he 100% agrees that Kofi would likely be better for next season, but I also think Duran would help more long-term. He helps with the brand. He helps with future recruiting. I just think it might be best for Cal to once again have a superstar young guy to show to recruits. What do you think about that? That's a, that's a fair point. That's a yeah. very fair point to make, that you're showing in NIL right now that you can go get the, the best of the best mm-hmm. out of the high school route, convince him to con- come to Kentucky and join an already loaded roster. Yeah, that, that would be better for the brand if you're talking Kofi. But does it – what wins them a national championship? I think they could win with both of them. But I just think that adding Kofi Coburn, man, you're adding a guy that is proven right there on a double-double at Illinois for a team that was a one seed going into the tournament, and then you add an Oscar, have Oscar Sheboy alongside of it. I just don't see Kentucky with a weakness. Yeah, to Ben's point, I do think having tangible proof that you can be a top recruit and make a lot of money at UK is an easier selling point to top recruits versus some of the other well, stars. But I don't really think there's a wrong way to go about this either. No. What what makes and, – and obviously adding Duran is bigger for 22, 23, 24, 25 in NIL air than adding Kofi Coburn because you're getting like you, – you're, you're getting the top high school guy. And that kind of – if he comes to Kentucky and earns north of a million dollars, what is every five-star recruit that's rated in the top ten going to think when Kentucky shows up at their house? Yeah. I mean, I think that's – I think that's a real thing, but I also think that – I think they're adding Kofi, though. That's my prediction yeah. for it. And if it's not uh, Jalen, it, it's going to be somebody else. Some top recruits going to come to Kentucky and kind of set that example next year maybe. So, um, I, I do think that was a fair point, though, from Ben. It was uh, a fair point. Brandon has a question about why Kentucky hasn't offered DJ Wagner Jr. I'm not seeing that one. Must be private. Um I, mean, I think maybe it's not like officially been offered, but I think everybody knows. Uh, yeah. That if that kid called Cal today and said, Hey, I want to come here, I think Cal's probably going to say, Yeah, come on down. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, with that 23 class. BBNJ, is- uh, hopefully we've satisfied this. He, he asked Kofi with the question mark. Uh, hopefully at this point. Yeah. Enough about uh, same thing, Bill goes, where does UK really stand with both Coburn and Duran? Do they get at least one? I, I do think they get at least one. My prediction right now is Kofi Coburn from conversations that I've had going into Thursday. So Wednesday night I had a conversation that makes – I feel really confident in the Kentucky. Kentucky, I think, is expecting to add Coburn. But we've been in this situation before too, and I've told a couple of people in DMs. That's why I've not put anything concrete out, Derek, because we remember the Matt Harms situation. Kentucky and Matt Harms was a done deal. It just didn't get to the final step. Yeah. Um, John's had a pretty good track record with when he's saying he feels confident. I would, I would, I would listen to him. Uh, this one's from Go Big Blue 2455. That's a big good question. Who is the point guard on the floor for the Cats in crunch time on opening night? And then what about come March? Man this is where this roster will really get you because people are probably going to think that I second guess half the stuff that I say, I'm big on Savir Wheeler being the starter, but I think that for this team to get to where it wants to go, your starting point guard, isn't 
to me, your starting point guard doesn't have to be your closer. And the reason I say that is because I do think Xavier Wheeler is their guy at point. I think he's going to set the table, but I think it's more so from assist standpoint. He's not going to be he's not going to be your bucket getter. He's not going to be your guy late in the clock that's going to go get you a basket late in the game that the ball's going to be in his hands. That guy is going to be Ty Ty Washington. That is, I think that's who John Calipari wants it to be. The guy with the ball in his hands that can break things down and go get his own while at the same time still setting that up. And this might be a situation to where Savir dominates the point guard minutes. But when it gets down to late crunch time, who's who had the ball in their hands early in the season in a backcourt with Ashton Higgins, Emmanuel Quickly, and Tyrese Maxey? Do you remember? Tyrese. Tyrese. And I could see the same kind of maybe set up here to where it's Hagens that dominated the ball handling for majority of the game. But when it got down to those crunch minutes, Madison Square Garden, Kentucky Duke this year, is it Ty Ty Washington, the freshman on that stage that has the ball in his hands? That's who, in my opinion, John Calipari wants it to be. But that's where I think that his versatility is better than Savir's. Savir has to be really good in one area. Tata has multiple areas that he can be good. Is it shooting the ball off the ball? Is it dominating the ball and ball handling, getting in the lane? That's why I think that Xavier Wheeler was brought in to be the point guard. That's why I think he dominates minutes at the point. But when it gets crunch time, your point guard might not even – you might not even have to have him on the floor in that final minute because you want your guy that can go get go get you a bucket. Or – because that's where if, if, you, if you go, let's say you hand the ball to Tata late in the clock, do you want Xavier at the two? No. No, you would rather put a shooter over there, a Davion Mintz, Kellen Grady, somewhere off the ball. That, that's where I think that this is going to be – my one concern with this, with Cal, is does he micromanage this to death? Because I think you can. <laughs> and yeah. and that's, that's my thought as a coach here too. That's why I think they're going to be good early, but I think that what this team's going to be in February – I think they're going to hit that stride a little sooner than Cal teams do because of the experience. I think that they could lose some games early, but I think that that schedule of Duke, now we know Ohio State, the Louisvilles, they're going to win their fair share of games. I'm looking at Kansas on January 29th. That's where I think Kentucky takes their turn. That's yeah. where I'm, I'm making – that's going to going to Allen Fieldhouse. That's where I think that this team could say, okay, we're really freaking good. Because by then, I think that they have had, had everything lined out, roles are identified. But I think with the ball in their hands, if you ask John Calipari who it is late in the clock, point guard, I think it'd be Ty Ty Washington. Yeah, that's a good point about the Kansas game, the way it sets up. I agree. Because they, they have, would have played a lot of tough games by then. But you're right. You're also at that point in the season where you probably know what you are for the most part. Uh, Tanner asks, is Swaggy Cal back? And he puts the gif of uh, Cal walking out to the arena and the glasses falling on his head. It, he is. Um, I think that Cal – and we – I gave him an, I gave him some criticism last year. I think we all did. And it was it was wor- worthy of it, right? Yeah, I'd say, he, so. I'd say he got criticized last year. Yeah. <laughs> you don't say. He mishandled a lot of stuff in press conferences last year. That was where my criticism lied with Cal. But – I've got to give him a. I got to give him an A plus for the offseason that he's put together. I think that what he said on Final Four weekend, that interview where, you know, enjoy us, enjoy it now while we're down. He was spot on. I honestly think that this man had on his dry erase board in his office 
every single thing that's happened, I think he knew it. I'm thinking Xavier Wheeler. I think that's that's who they wanted. I think, and then maybe Tata Washington popping up. I think everything that they've written on that board, even Kofi Coburn too, Derek. There was there was some rumblings months ago when Orlando Antigua and the rumors of leaving Illinois. Kofi Coburn's name was thrown out to some people months ago. I know Travis Graff is one of those guys that had some information about Kofi. Like I'm talking early spring, didn't know if he was going to go into the portal, but that's how this thing changed it all. I mean, this transfer portal has changed Kentucky basketball. That was the only way Kentucky basketball was getting back to elite was the transfer portal. That fast. That fast. Yeah. In 2010, it was recruiting five stars with Cousins and Wall and Bletson on those guys. That wasn't happening right now. Like that would this would be a this would be a to me a team that would be improved with Keon and all those guys coming back. You you naturally think those guys get better. I still think they would get a Tata Washington, but it wasn't a Final Four caliber team without the transfer portal. Yeah, I think you make a great point. I think this, all these rules, NIL, free waiver for the transfers, I, I think it came at the perfect time because the way Kentucky had won the majority of its games early in Cal's tenure, like those days are over. I don't think you'll ever see a need for Kentucky to have eight freshmen again or whatever it was last year. We have to replace whole teams. I and mean, if you do have to replace the majority of your teams, you'll at least be able to do a mix of – older guys and then maybe young college guys like uh I mean honestly kind of like an Oscar I know they're going technically going to be going into the third year of school but a scenario where maybe you get a really good freshman from somewhere else like it just won't have to be the way it used to be so it sh- I think UK should always now stay pretty good yeah um some years might be better than others like you might not get a second team all-american like they might with Kofi every year a preseason big 12 player of the year like Oscar um but I don't see any reason you can't get a guy like Kellen Grady every single season, someone who's been really good at their level for for four years. Um, Does the transfer portal help the transition of John Calipari out as head coach at Kentucky? What do you does mean? That, like, does that make it easier on the next coach coming in that you can go get guys? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because, like, what we used to talk about when Cal would leave, we said, what, like, the team would be depleted. Yeah. Now, if you're a new coach, like with the transfer portal, you'll still have that UK brand. You might get a couple of guys back, but you can at least pick the players like what you like, who you want. If and, it's your thing. And you expect Kentucky to get a guy that's proven, right? A, a, oh, yeah. a really good coach. I mean, look at look at Chris Beard at Texas right now. Texas Tech, leaving Texas Tech, you left good players at Texas Tech. But where is Texas now with Chris Beard in this move? I mean, we're talking Texas being a top five team, one of the better teams in college basketball. And I mean, on the short list for Marcus Carr, right? If I'm not mistaken, we are. Yeah, most well, they could assume it's going to be Texas or Louisville for him. Yeah, was Texas going to be in that category if Chris Beard hadn't gone there? But then you also see Texas Tech being left with some stuff and being a team. I think uh, was it Goodman had them maybe number 35. I mean, that's not too bad losing Chris Beard. The no. honestly, the, the coach that I mean could say the best coach in school history because I mean got him to a title game. Yeah. So, I could see the portal really helping Kentucky out when it comes to replacing Cal. If you go get a big-name coach, you might get some dudes to come from that school to play for him or those relationships that he's built in recruiting past players. I mean, you're seeing that right now with Kofi Coburn. It's not a relationship with John Calipari. It's a relationship with Orlando Antigua. And I've said this multiple times that year that I went and watched him play in the EYBL, I sat there and watched every game Kofi Coburn played. 
And the reason I watched him play is he was a teammate with UK target Jalen LeCue. Mm-hmm. Kentucky never watched Kofi. After they had moved on from LeCue, they never watched Kofi. And I'm sitting there wondering, like, why is no one watching this guy? This is going to be the best big in college basketball. Orlando Antigua right there watching every game. So those relationships and coaching, you see it pay off now. Does Kentucky get him? My prediction is yes, but I don't want to – I'm not ready to, like, put it at 100%. I say 90 to 95 right now. And we also have another question, uh, too. Will there be as much NCAA violations now that NIL is a thing? I think that's a very good question. Do you see as many violations? I mean, I feel like that's already a thing of the past anyway, honestly. Yeah. like. Look, you know, money's, money's been there, man. Yeah. I mean, we'd all have to be naive to think the money that's poured into college basketball by shoe companies, by the coaching contracts. Like, there's always been money for everybody but the players, obviously. So, to act like nothing was ever happening. Like, if you're a college sports fan, there's a pretty good chance your team will skirt in the rules. So, I'll just got you know, to be naive about it. But, yeah, like, I think this gets it more in the open, and rightfully so. One so, thing, no, like, I don't think you're going to see as many recruiting. No, I don't think so. One thing I want to get to as we wrap up here, Derek, uh, Ron Wallace and I have been DMing quite a bit. He's a listener at Kentucky Daily. We, we DM often. He's brought up a lot of good points. And he sent this the other day, but he gives a shout-out to his friend Brandon. He says he's an avid Kentucky Daily listener as well. So, I love these conversations that I get in DMs. I don't always get back to them immediately. But he brings up a good point about this basketball team. Here's the free throw shooting numbers. Wheeler 74, Mint 66, which he did say that he came back to improve on when it comes to being a professional. Frederick 68, Grady 68, Allen 64, Brooks 80, Toppin 78, Oscar 61, Ware 56, Coburn 55. So even though this team is a good three-point shooting team, that's not very good free throw shooting numbers. That would be a concern, right? When you look at yeah. over the court, Keon Brooks is your leading free throw percentage shooter at 80%, topping at 78. A, a team that's going to play a lot of guards, you want to see yeah, those I mean, guys get to at least 70 up. I think Jerry Tippin asked uh, Kellen Grady about his free throw percentage out that last media availability that he had. And, uh, yeah, Kellen more or less said he, he says he'd be working on it, basically, but – um, real quick, I wanted to go back. You were talking about watching Coburn play and wondering why UK wasn't on him. In hindsight, this was a really odd 2019 recruiting class for Kentucky. You did have Richards back, and they had Montgomery, but the one big that they added was Nate Sestina, which, you know, Nate, friend of the show, doing well and overseas. But, like, the other guys that they signed that class, Khalil Whitney, Keon Brooks, Johnny Juzang, and Dante Allen. So by the what the were what they were listed as as recruits, that's four small forwards that they signed. Obviously, Whitney didn't work out. Brooks is still here playing the four. Juzang transferred has done really well, and Dante's still here. Why? I'm kind of with you. Like I went and looked at the center list. They obviously put all their eggs in the James Wiseman basket that year. Yeah. Isaiah Stewart went elsewhere. Vernon Carey went elsewhere. The Folly Dante. They just could not get a big that class. Didn't sign anyone from the high school ranks. And no. Coburn was ranked 12th in 24-7's rankings out of and the a, centers that year. And a guy they had an opportunity to watch play multiple times. I mean, yeah. when you go to these EYBL events and there's six floors going at once, you know who's dominating because the crowd goes nuts. 
And at no point did I see – I saw other coaches move. But here's why. And this is where I don't want to get into it too much. Kentucky failed. John Calipari failed by trusting people too much. Yeah, I think this was the obvious – like you look at the class on paper and you say, well, they had three five-stars and finished second in the country in recruiting. So how can you say they're doing a bad job? This probably should have been the eye-opener when they literally missed out on every single center target that they had from high school. Well, here's one. And here's what I'm not trying to say that, like, I just think that the move, the staff that is put together right now is going to set the tone at the EYBL, at the gauntlet that they're at this weekend. They're going to set the tone, Derek. And here's why I say they failed. At what point did Kentucky basketball become a place to where you weren't going to go recruit and watch other fives because you didn't want to scare off the one guy you were going after in James Wiseman. Why did you make it a priority? It's Kentucky. We've heard Cal say it multiple times. Don't give, don't come here if you don't want to compete. That's why I'm saying that he got to a point to where he relaxed. He took his foot off the gas and it's evident. He knows that. I think he would tell you that in private conversations. He took his foot off the gas and it backfired. They went all in on one guy at one spot, and when they didn't get that one guy, there was nothing else there. And it, it, and it, I think it showed this year's where it really hurt. I mean, Nick Richards ended up being really good, but can you imagine if Nick Richards hadn't developed? Where would where would that team have been? They would have struggled. Yeah, just I don't think there's any doubt that there was a. Despite what the rankings might say, there was obviously a drop in. And- what we had come to expect from the freshmen who were playing at UK and the recruiting as a whole. Absolutely. Uh, and the biggest change to me as we wrap up is right now what Cal's doing, it's the first time I think he's done this. He's not taking the best talent. He's taking the best pieces that fit his team. Mm-hmm. Now, Kofi Coburn, you could say, okay, he's loading up a lot. He's p- putting someone over Sheboy. I don't think he is. I think that this comes down to pieces. I think Cal knows he needs another guy to anchor, and or they wouldn't be recruiting Jalen Duren as well. There's a reason Cal didn't stop when Savir was the last piece, because you know that he openly wanted Mintz back, and now he's out recruiting someone else. I, I just think that after you go nine and sixteen, use all your scholarships. You don't mess around. I, I this is encouraging to me what we're seeing from John Cal Perry right now, and I and I'm kind of wondering here: do they go after Kofi Coburn? if Orlando Antigua wasn't on staff. Obviously, he has said that that's the reason he left Illinois. But let's just throw out hypotheticals here. Would they go after a caliber player of Kofi this late if Orlando wasn't on staff? I'm telling you, man, I think Orlando Antigua has been the, the shot in the arm that yeah. he needs, Derek. I really think that getting him back in the same room with him, it's like when you're around people that just make you better. I think that Orlando Antigua is a guy that makes Cal better. It's almost interesting, too, uh, probably the last point I'll make before we get off here. You know, I think if they get Coburn, you can say Duran is going to go elsewhere. Do you see, when we're talking about the center recruiting from the high school ranks, do you see Derek Lively's recruitment as being a, a possible statement? that Because you're talking about, I mean, it seems like the schools you're really competing against for the, for the number two center in the country. But, again, he should move to number one, right? I mean, I, I thought yeah. – 
right now, Darren is still listed in 2022, but he's obviously reclassifying. So this is going to push Live Lip to the number one center in his class, and you're competing against Duke and North Carolina for this kid. Would that be a statement, perhaps, that Kentucky is back kind of on the elite of the elite? Because that's been like the one kind of rough spot that they've had the last few years recruiting from the high school ranks. Yeah, it, it would be. And and to me, they they need to get the, the number one overall player at some point here in the next couple of years. Could be Wagner. It could, it could be. And I just think that you're right, though. If they can go get an elite big out of the high school ranks like that, I think that's a big statement because that you're right. That's the position that for a while now. I mean, you can go all the way back. Uh, I mean, Bam wasn't really a true five, but you go back to the scal and stuff before that. Kentucky was getting number one, Dakari. They, I mean, they were getting the number one big. I think they got to get back to that. And yeah. I think that would be a big statement. And then Ron had a, a question, but he was asking about platooning and everything. And he sent it in the 29th. I uh, was talking about platoon one, but this was before Mintz came back. But his biggest thing that he's talking about is he sees Dante and Ware as the possible odd men out, you know, when it comes to the roster and everything. I think you could – I mean, we're of the belief that you could probably throw C.J. Frederick in there as well, right? That it just I – don't, I don't really know who – our opinions are going to change these guys too, right? As we go into the season, like right now, who we're high on, we might be low on after about five games. We saw that last year. But there are going to be some people left out, Derek, that aren't going to play as much. But I think that the biggest thing for me is I think a couple of those guys that could be left out are going to be like pillars to your program the following year if they stay true to it. Mm -hmm. C.J. Frederick cannot transfer again without sitting out. Where's he going if he doesn't play 25 minutes a game at UK this year? I think C.J. Frederick transferred to Kentucky to be a multiple-year player. I still think Dante Allen gets to junior-senior year at Kentucky. I think Lance Ware, by the time he's a junior-senior, could be a guy that is so ingrained in your program that he's a piece that helps you win a Sweet 16 Elite Eight matchup that you're struggling in. Like, those guys need to be in your program long-term. And I think that maybe the mindset of some of these guys coming back, they know that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, do we know – like, let's say Frederick is on path to graduate. I don't know if you could even do this. But, like, if he was able to graduate, like, after this season, could you still grad transfer and be eligible? Do we know what the role is on that now? If you're – if you use your one-time transfer and then graduate – or do you have to be established at a school? I don't know how that even works, but. That's a good question. I don't know. I'm, I missed a football one. I'll, I'll let you wrap this thing up with this. This is from Brandon. So, Brandon sent DMs, too. This was on the first. Uh, he was talking about Mark Stoops said Joey Gatewood didn't throw a single interception during spring ball when talking to the crew that does the yearbook. I know I already asked, but I'm going to ask it again. Are we underestimating Joey's passing ability due to lack of opportunity and tape? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a fair question. I just think that uh, – I just think Liam Cohen's going to go with the guy that he recruited. So, I just still think it's going to be Levis. Do I think Gatewood's going to get a shot? Do I think Gatewood – I think Cohen's opinion of Gatewood improved over the spring. I do. I think he ended up liking Gatewood more than he thought he might um, when he took this job. So, 
no one has has disputed that Gatewood was the guy coming out of spring ball. You know, if you had to pick between him or Bo Allen, it was it was going to be Joey. But I think the thing set up though for for Levis to be the quarterback. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's impressive in some regards, but I also don't know, you know how many pass attempts and um, would be an encouraging. I mean, it's just practice. I don't want to read too much into it, but like it, you know. Some people would say, well, is he taking enough chances then? Because Terry Wilson never threw many interceptions. Also didn't throw many touchdowns or complete many passes. So, you know, and I would like some more context on that. But I do think Joey's going to get a fair shot. I think he he did a, a good enough job this spring that it will be a real competition. But at the end of the day, just from what I hear, I would just be really surprised if it's not Levis, who's a starting quarterback. Yep, let's wrap this thing up here. This has uh, been brought to you by Blue Wire Pods. It's also been brought to you by Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky. They're our mailbag sponsor. I'm telling you, they have great deals out there. Monday is Kids Eat Free. Tuesday, 69-cent wing day. Wednesday, $1.19 tenders. Thursday, all-day happy hour. And then an added bonus. It's where your family, family really wants to eat, Derek. Is it Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky? Get out there to that location. You can order online at buffalowingsandrings.com. I got to give a round of applause. I thought that this was one of the most detailed mailbags that we've ever had. I thought you were excellent on the football stuff. You really bring your expertise on the football beat, and I, I know it really adds to the show. I think that's what makes Kentucky Daily what it is, is we know we both know enough about it all but I love when you dive into the football side and then it just allows me just to punch all the way through on the basketball end. I think it's the perfect blend. Yeah. John Calgary's roster this year. I think it fits. Yeah. It's going to be, we're getting closer, closer and closer to the season starting. So looking forward to it. But yeah, this was a, it's pretty long mailbag over an hour. So hopefully you guys settle in and you made it to this point. We hope you made it to the end. So let us know how you, let us know how you all want this to be. Do you want this when long mailbags like this? Do you want us to split it or do you want us to put it all in one episode? If you want it split, we can always put football and everything else in one and then basketball because it's the same recording time for us. But if you want to listen to the long episodes, give us some feedback and let us know. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.